Okay, so as you, as you guys know, this is the season of Lent where we prepare ourselves for Easter, and part of the preparation involves reflecting on the suffering, crucifixion, death, and uh, burial of Jesus Christ. And, uh, um, you know, Jesus said that we'll have many tribulations in this world. Uh, and when he died on the cross, he not only took our sins, but he also took our suffering, pain, heartache, and grief. Um, the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow who's familiar with our deepest grief. So we know that he understands our situation. He, we know that he knows what, we, what, what we're going through, and we can count on him to be there for us in our time of need. But we as the church, uh, we as the body of Christ, um, haven't done a good job of addressing this topic. Um, and we haven't learned how to minister to those who are suffering, who are going through a loss. And so that's what I hope to accomplish today and next week. Um, I'm going to try to bring some level of awareness um, by sharing my experience and giving you a high-level overview. Okay? So here's an outline of what we're going to talk about. I'll give you a quick background about myself, and then we'll talk about why this is a fundamental subject, and then we'll delve into the topic of lament, and then at the end we'll address any questions or comments you guys may have. So who am I? I'm originally from Africa. Um, now I'm curious as to what you guys think about or what goes through your mind when I say Africa because there are lots of misconceptions and stereotypes out there. Probably the most popular one is that Africa is this big country where three billion people live. But the truth, the interesting thing is everyone has grief, but mourning is a choice. Um, and, and this is something most people choose not to do. So if you look at the, um, what's, what's up there, these are the various uh, emotions people experience when they go through grief. Sometimes you experience one a day, sometimes multiple at once. So um, it's very hard to describe what you're going through sometimes because it's, it's re uh, relentless, it's unforgiving, and it has to run its course. Um, so again, let me ask you, how many of you guys have experienced any of those emotions up there? Okay, it's everyone. So why is this fundamental? You know, why do we need to talk about it? You know, we live in an achievement-oriented culture, and we have not been taught to expect or how to handle the losses of life. We want to be winners. We want success. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to call the shots. We like to set our destiny. And so what we do is we build walls around us with signs that say, losses, no trespassing. But the problem is we live in a broken world, in a fallen world, so loss is something we can't avoid. It's, it's one of our companions throughout life. It's something all of us are going to experience at one time or another. So it's not a matter of if, but when. 
And Jesus promised us that in this world we'll have many tribulations. So how we respond to the losses will either transform us or destroy us. So we have two options. One is to take the secular approach, which is to either deny it, suppress it, or ignore it. Or we can act like it's not there. Or we have another option, which is to follow Jesus' advice, the biblical approach, which is to learn the art of comforting one another or carrying each other's burdens. And in doing so, we will fulfill the law of Christ. So it's, it's up to us to decide, you know, which option would you choose? So first, let's look at the exclusion of lament. You know, as I think about this, um, rare is the Sunday in which among those of us who come together, there, there are not individuals or families who are gripped by pain and who, are, and who bear wounds that have to be borne or carried in secrecy. We live in a culture where lament does not market well. We do not like tears. We do not like grief or mourning. And there has been a tendency to ignore private pain and systematic suffering. So what's interesting is every week we leave our home, our offices, our playgrounds, and we assemble for worship. But we do not leave behind our experience. We carry that experience with us because it's part of who we are. So what this exclusion or omission of lament does is it screens out people who have experienced a deep and profound loss, and it disenfranchises them. The real pain of grief is the pain of isolation. You know, to lament at all is painful, but to lament alone, that's agony. And a serious failure of ministry is to ignore lament as an essential resource in confronting those emotions that terrify us. And we have to be able to do that in a context where one might expect some help and understanding. So think about this. What would happen to our practice of worship, our gathering, if it became the place where we're not afraid to draw together the tragic, the negative, the hurtful, as we try to fill these experiences with meaning. I mean, what do you think will happen? We'll experience healing, right? And, and that's, that's what Jesus wants us to do. But uh, throughout history, you'll see the decline of lament. Um, the church is known for regarding lament with a mixture of suspicion and hostility. So there's been a push towards a joyous celebration. And, you know, there are factors that contributed to this. So the first one is the influence of classical Greek culture. So if you study that, you notice that Greek tragedy depicted lament unfavorably. Like, for example, Plato, he viewed lament as a non-rational feminine behavior. He called it abnormal, something to stay away from. And Athens passed laws to privatize grief since it might destabilize the state. So we see this paradigm shift in the early centuries of the common era. 
So if you look at the eastern and western branches of Christianity, they developed these funeral rituals that emphasized death as a blessing, something to embrace. Um, they saw it as a natural passage in God's providential plan instead of what the Bible says, death is the enemy. So they took the other route. And then you'll also look, notice that Christian theologians seeking to replace lament with patience. So to give you some examples, Thomas Aquinas. If you, if you study his reflection on Job, it urged submission. He liked to focus on the chapter where Job said, you know, the, the, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But the problem is Job has 42 chapters. So between the second and the 42nd chapter, you'll see him wrestling with God. You'll see him asking why. God, why is this happening? Why, why aren't you not helping me? Why are, why are you silent? You know, he vents. He's totally honest with God. And that's the area where... Thomas Aquinas didn't want to deal with. Martin Luther also subordinated lament to penitential experiences, and he grounded that in Psalm 51, which is about David's repentance after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Um, John Calvin is the classic example. You know, he's the one who said, God is the ultimate agent of our suffering and grief. So we should embrace it. We should be happy. We shouldn't complain or we shouldn't grumble. And John Wesley declared Psalm 137, which is the lament over the destruction of Jerusalem, as unfit for Christian tongues. So you'll see the same pattern with all of them. And then the pulpit and the pew, you know. This is what I would blame for the lack of lament. The pulpit avoids sermons on lament. Uh, I mean, when was the last time you guys heard a series of teaching on lament? See? We, we don't like to talk about it. And if lament material is used, it's usually baptized with praise so that it's remorse is covered, or the despair is attributed to the psalmist, and no attempt is made to recognize ourselves. So what happens is the congregation remains bystanders instead of participants. And the pew finds lament as a result outside of its comfort zone. You know, we can handle emotion if it's praise, but, but not if it's anger or a questioning spirit. We don't want to have anything to do with that. So the neglect of lament has prevented a realistic confrontation with suffering, pain, and death. And if you look at today's worship songs, I would say they are ill-suited for discharging the anger and deep sorrow that grieving people experience. Like, ever since I lost my wife, you know, I've been looking for songs that would express what I'm going through, and I had a hard time finding. Like, the only one I can think of is uh, the song Worn by 10th Avenue. I mean, if you look at the lyrics, it's, it's like the lament psalms, you know. It says, I'm tired, I'm worn, my soul is weary, you know. Just getting out of bed is quite the work, and man, I, 
it became like my life song, you know? And, uh, and that, that's, that's what we need. Um, so this decline has resulted in a negative impact on faith, uh, which results in a submissive attitude towards death. We're like, oh yeah, this is part of life, you know, this is something I'm supposed to embrace instead of what the Bible teaches us, which is to look at uh, the situation we're in and say, this is not the original plan. This is not how it's meant to be. So God, I want you to do something about it. I want you to fix it, to restore it. So what's the value of fingers? They've produced poetry that reflect their spiritual states and their experiences. I mean, we have the Psalms of Lament, we have the Book of Job, we have the Book of Lamentations, Habakkuk's Complaints. Uh, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and lamenting on the cross. Um, and the, the second reason is lament gives voice to pain. It's the So, you know, ever since I lost my wife, you enter this world of grief. So, not only are you going through it, you're learning at the same time. It's a teacher. So, I would say both. Um, prior to losing my wife, I had some idea because of my background. Like, for example, back home, when we lose a loved one. Like, for example, okay, let's compare them. Here in the U.S., when you lose a loved one, people normally would tell you, oh, why don't you see a, a grief counselor? Or why don't you take three weeks off and then get fixed up and come back? Back home, when we lose a loved one, the parent or the family member wears black. So they would wear black for three months. And that is to show everyone that they've lost a loved one. They need to be... They, are, they need to be taken care of, you know, they are sensitive and they are not like everyone else. So, um, so even culturally speaking, you know, there's huge difference. So yes, I have, I have some background, but after losing my wife, I mean, I just started um, learning about it day and night, I would say. So it's almost like second nature to me, you know? So when Glenn asked me to uh, talk about this, it was a no-brainer. Because, you know, he and I have been me meeting every week for the past year, and we've, we've wrestled through so many issues. And most of the time, he doesn't know what to say. I mean, he, he's, he gets stumped. And I don't expect him to t give me the answers. I just want him to be there for me, and he's done a good job of that. And recently said to me, Bemni, you've taught me so much about grief. And I'm like, really? I mean, all I've been doing is just venting, you know? But I guess, you know, people can learn from your pain, from what's devastating to you. And if even one person can benefit from this, you know, it's worth it, right? Yeah. Hi. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Relief. You know, people turn to either drugs or alcohol or food. Um, so that's one warning sign you want to look for. And also if people talk about ending it, you know, if uh, there's no purpose to living, that's another one. Um, but the act of grieving and mourning, that's totally healthy, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I've been meeting with him uh, from time to time. It's very difficult. So, 